I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good afternoon to you. This is The Call on this Monday. It is the 13th of November. I'm Nadine Blaney. So over the next hour, we'll cover 10 stocks that you've picked with my two expert guests. And we'll also talk about a stock of the day. Um, but let me introduce you to who we've got with us today. David Lane from Ordmanet is joining us from beautiful Brisbane. And we've got Daniel Ortiz joining us from Lincoln Indicators in Melbourne. So the stock doctor, we are really pleased to have you both here with us. Um, look, guys, just to start the conversation, um, you know, where, David, do you think we sit in terms of enthusiasm for stocks? You know, we're past AGM season. We're getting toward the end of the year. How do you read things out there? Yeah, it's a very interesting time, and it's a great question because our strategists and analysts uh, are quite cautious on the market and tend to think that uh, the competing uh, in, infra, in interest rates and inflation will keep a, a, a hold on consumer spending and have the potential to you know, push us possibly into recession in 2024. Um, but then having said that, a lot of the, the positivity that we're seeing around the market um, is being reflected in, in reasonable results. And you know, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Oral's announcement today, but there, there are actually positive signs for most of the companies but the strategists are concerned about what may be over the horizon. Yeah, Daniel, I mean, that seems to be the overarching theme, isn't it? You know, we can't get too far ahead of ourselves because we are still in a world where interest rates are rising. Jay Powell is saying that there could be more in it when it comes to rate hikes. So, yeah, how, how are you testing sentiment there? Yeah, look, I think similar comments to David. At our view here at Stock Doctor and at Lincoln, you know, we're probably more thinking that it's rather a, a bear market rally than, you know, a return to a bull market or really great period for equities. And um, that's certainly our view and our view on the market. We're probably taking this opportunity, if anything, to probably reduce equity exposure um, and perhaps pare back weights of stocks, which have which have had a, a big rebound in the last few weeks. Because um, from our view, there are still a lot of headwinds coming forward, um, not only in the macro environment, like we've spoken about. There's still a lot of uncertainty on rates, still a lot of uncertainty on inflation and energy prices as well. Uh, and given where, you know, just the general valuation of the market as a whole, particularly when you take out ASX resources, if you look at kind of industrial PEs, you know, it does look relatively elevated. So, you know, I think we're positioned a bit more defensively. Uh, but in some cases, certainly when we think about income, Nadine, we're probably taking a bit of a step down the risk curve. So our income funds are actually taking a bit more of an allocation into certain uh, corporate bonds. And, you know, I, I think we're probably happy to, to take some profits when the market's rising. Well, I do wonder how much that will come up in conversation, you know, whether or not you're willing to take the risk in equities when, you know, Daniel, as you've said, there's returns on offer with very little risk in the, the corporate bond market and government bonds as well. Anyways, we'll see where we get to. 
Uh, David Lane gave it away, I think, a little bit about what our stock of the day may be. But uh, in the next half hour or so, we'll be talking about Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. Interesting because we've had some of the bank results coming through. Harmony Corp, My State is coming up, Australian Unity Office Fund and Block all in the first half of this program. Um, but the stock of the day is Boral. After it upgraded its full year earnings guidance, amid deepening confidence that customers will be able to absorb price rises and that costs are under control. It sees underlying earnings to come in between 300 and $330 million compared to yeah the previous forecast range. Now, the company says that volumes year to date have been relatively steady and that at this stage, it expects it to continue through the remainder of FY 2024. So, David, I think you were chomping at the bit to talk to Boral. So this this is a tra- like a turnaround story that is gaining traction in your view? Yeah, it seems to be. It's uh, it's a stock that, uh, as you said, has had a, a bit of a checkered past uh, and, and is recovering. The new management that's come in, um, so if you remember a few years ago, uh, Seven Group tried to, to make a takeover for the business. It was somewhat successful. They, they own about 72, 73% of the business. So very much uh, influenced by uh, Seven. So Ryan Stokes, who's the CEO of Seven, is also the chairman of, of Boral. Uh, they've been through a, a divestment over the last couple of years. So they've got about $5 billion of, of asset divestment that they've, they've sold off and strengthened the balance sheet. And they've been a lot more focused on their costs. So what Boral has announced today is the fact that their costs seem to be relatively under control while they've been able to pass on their rising prices to customers. So they've increased their their guidance uh, about 10.5% from the midpoint of, of their previous guidance. So a reasonable upgrade there. Uh, the share price has reacted positively, so they're up about 6.5%, a little bit more today. Um, so a good announcement and similar, I suppose, to what we saw from James Hardy a few weeks ago in that uh, the building materials is a sector that probably continues to surprise that we're anticipating that there should be lower demand, um, but yeah, we've actually been positively surprised. I think in Boral's case, they're uh, leaning towards the, the government sector, getting a lot of spending on the on the infrastructure and, and their traditional uh, bitumen and, and road uh, you know, materials as well. So positive announcement for the company. Um, as far as valuations concerned, we think that they're relatively expensive. So we've got a hold recommendation on them. Um, at at $5, they're, they're probably a, you know, a bit above where we think they should be. Um, our analysts' fair value is four twenty five, dollars but hazard a guess that perhaps they'd be looking at the announcement today and, and may make an adjustment to that. But at this point in time, I've got a whole recommendation on it. Yeah, okay, Daniel, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, has its share price run ahead of fundamentals, even in light of today's upgrade? Yeah, look, I think similar comments in terms of the valuation and, and David covered kind of the story of Bora in the last few years really well. I will say that, it, you know, it's always very difficult when you're trying to pick a turnaround story. But 
a lot of the times you have to look at perhaps, you know, the structure of management teams. And obviously, uh, when Seven Group came in, you think about kind of the, the Stokes family and their experience in running businesses, very disciplined and very focused on capital allocation. You know, they're not focused on perhaps empire building or growing for the sake of growth, which, you know, was kind of the take on Borrell before that. So, yeah, it's it, it's been a great case study to follow. But coming back to today's valuation, probably a little bit high for us too. You know, that. I remember about, I think, six months ago, probably 12 months ago, actually, now in the peak bearishness for building materials, you know, we saw companies like James Hardy hit under $30 and the the fundamental results looked terrible, but they're putting up prices, double digits, almost every three months or so. So that's actually come into to bear fruit. And, and, you know, we look at James Hardy's results. And like you said, Nadine, the margins have been a lot better, even though underlying volumes hasn't been that great. So, um, yeah, from our, from our money, we're probably finding better opportunities elsewhere at today's valuation. But uh, I still think it's warranted to, to have on the watch list because that margin story and the fact that they've been able to push prices higher, it probably does lead to a better business overall going forward for Boral. Okay, so if you owned it, would you hold it? Yeah, look, I think there's a case for holding it, certainly, and potentially as the balance sheet improves, you know, capital management initiatives going forward, that'll probably be a positive for the company. All right. Thanks, guys. So that is the stock of the day being Boral. Let's get to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers. And this one has been picked by Richard. It is Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. Daniel, I'm going to start with you because... I guess you've got to have a view on banks in general um, before you even get to the regional banks. So what is it? Yeah, I think we've been relatively pessimistic on banks, to be honest, Nadine. And um, obviously, you know, the results probably coming in relatively in line with what everyone's expecting. Obviously, you know, it was well flagged that net interest margins are coming down. Uh, to be fair, the asset quality or, or the metrics around, um, you know, the credit risk on, on books probably has been a little bit better than expected. Um, but overall, what's really plagued the banks, uh, big four and regional, has been the cost line. Uh, and we've seen significant inflation in the cost base. And it's not just wages, it's IT investment, it's cybersecurity investment. Uh, and there's been a real need, obviously, for these companies to invest in their systems. Um, and not only that, but the big kind of hairy question mark has been, what does the funding outlook um, look like for these regional banks going forward? Given that they, you know, we, we know that they can't compete on really deposit base and deposit price versus the big four, and their wholesale costs are significantly higher. Um, so we've been probably a little bit more pessimistic. Um, we've actually sold out of pretty much all of our non-big four bank exposure um, at Stock Doctor and, and within our managed funds. And um, our financials analyst, Ryan's probably been pretty pretty well in his timing on, on getting ahead of the curve and that. Because if you look at Bendigo, I think at their recent report, they still had very optimistic cost targets going forward. And that guidance probably differs between what we're seeing with results at the banks right now, um, the inflationary pressures, and therefore we think that there could be potential revisions going forward in, in, in a downward way. So, you know, we're happy to stay out of them. If I held the stock now, I'd, to be honest, I'd probably be inclined to sell. Okay. We know that the yields look really good, but, you know, like we've said, there's relatively good offers um, elsewhere in, in terms of valuation at the market at the moment. And even like we mentioned, outside of equity. So uh, I think there's probably a, a, a not enough a good reason for us to be in this stock. Um, David, you know, are rising net interest margins that were in the most recent results enough to keep you interested in Bendigo and Adelaide Bank now? Yeah, slightly. Yeah, we're a little bit more positive than Daniel. We've got an accumulate recommendation on Bendigo and Adelaide, uh, partly due to the fact that their, their value or valuation is, is low. Their PE ratio is about 9.8 times dividend yield, 6.8%. Um, 
it's interesting that that net interest margin, the conundrum that they have is that their their volumes have actually been, as far as new loan origination, has actually been above uh, average trend. But that has come at a cost as far as their their net interest margins, um, you know, coming down. So it's yeah, a little bit of a conundrum that the the bank has. They have invested in their systems and their digital originations have been growing. So that is a, a more cost effective way to grow their their business. Uh, it is obviously highly focused on the, the residential um, market and also on, on agricultural. A lot of their business banking is is agricultural based. Um, we think it's reasonable at, at current prices and yeah, have an accumulate recommendation on it um, based on that, that valuation. All right. Well, there you go. It makes a market, doesn't it, when you've got a little bit of disagreement. And David, I'm going to start with you for the next company that's on the list. HMY is the ticker code. Mm. Harmony. Uh, and this is basically personal lending. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. or actually covers this company. Why would you be um, considering investing in a in, in a company that gives personal loans when we've got interest rates rising and consumers doing it tough? Yeah, well, talking about those in net interest rate or net interest margins, the major banks average about 2%. Um, Bendigo that we were talking about, um, net interest margins of about 1.9%. In the case of Harmony, um, their net interest margins are about 9%. So yes, they are providing personal loans, which do carry higher risk, um, but they're also getting paid well for those. So in a rising interest rate market, they are able to pass on the, the higher rates and get a, a reasonable uh, return on that money. So you know, it, it is a small business. It's speculative as far as or high risk as far as the investment's concerned but yeah we've got a an accumulate recommendation on it they're currently trading at 48 cents we've actually got a, a valuation or target price of 85 cents on them so we think that there is upside in the business um but david that's a terrible looking chart yep yep, yep <laughs> it is uh, <laughs> and look, that's partly due to the transformation that the business has been going through and also partly due to the, the small cap market in general has been sold off. Um, anything that you know was, was fintech type related uh, has been sold off over the last couple of years. So it is a stock that has the potential to turn around and, and improve. We think that they, over the next couple of years, will move into profitability. They did have a you know, an improved result last time. So, uh, yes, but it is certainly one for, for the patient and for the long-term investor. All right, there you go. What do you think of Harmony, Daniel? Yeah, look, I think if we had concerns over the regional banks, you know, we'd, we'd probably be waving a few flags over these uh, non-bank lenders. And like you said, Nadine, you pointed out, every single non-bank lender, doesn't matter really where you are on the on the market cap spectrum, you know, they've been absolutely smashed. Um, and from our view, you know, we, we definitely think that, you know, someone's probably going to make a lot of money out of this sector, uh, picking the bottom, but, you know, it's probably not going to be us. So there are a lot of risks going forward. And to be fair, looking at just the metrics that Harmony pointed out, you know, they actually did have kind of lower arrears rates and lower loss rates than a lot of their peers. Uh, I'm not sure what the driving force is because, you know, it is unsecured lending. So, you know, and a very small part of their book is, say, auto lending, which, you know, potentially might be secure. 
secured. So I'm not actually sure what the driving force for that is. Uh, potentially they have, um, you know, more defined or, or more stricter regulations or, or a process of uh, lending out to customers, but that might be something to watch going forward. But overall, look, Nadine, for us, it's, it's just too much of a risky sector. I think if you look at the balance sheet from period to period, you can actually see the equity value diminishing. So clearly, um, you know, th- there's been a very difficult period uh, when you look at kind of the, the assets that they're writing or the loans that they're writing. They probably have, you know, a, a, a diminishing carrying value versus, versus the liabilities, which don't diminish unless you pay them down. Um, so, yeah, we, we just think it's a very risky space. Someone's going to make a boatload of money here, mm. uh, definitely, but I don't think it's going to be us. Okay, right. All right. Well, let's just keep this financial wave going, shall we, with my state, which is next on the list. Bit of a theme today. This is for Sean. Sean, I hope you're watching or listening. So again, this is sort of everyday banking. It's a it's a it's a small bank. Um, Daniel, any reason to be in my state if you're not in Harmony or Bendigo and Adelaide? Oh, look, to be fair, we actually used to be an owner of this as well, Nadine, um, and it was, you know, relatively uncovered. I don't think there's any analyst coverage on my state. Um, a lot more illiquid than the other banks, a lot smaller. It's, you know, focused on Tasmania. I think it started originally was like a Tasmanian credit union or a building society back in the day. So, you know, very uncovered um, uh, stock and the liquidity is a lot lower. Uh, and we've been out of this one as well uh, for very similar reasons to the to the other comments um, in regards to Bendigo. So yeah. um, they, they actually do have a pretty decent percentage of their funding coming from deposits. Uh, but then again, you know, the, the wholesale funding rates for someone like a MyState are just not anywhere near competitive um, in the market that they operate in. So very similar comments, you know, the valuation looks very appealing. Um, and I think for our money at the moment, Nadina, I just think valuation probably isn't a driving factor for us in making stock selection calls at the moment because, you know, we just have a lot of concerns over the environment overall. So for our money, there has to be, you know, another reason other than just valuation to get us interested in a stock. Um, and, and for the moment, my state just doesn't pass that criteria. So, um, you know, we'd, we'd be happy to be avoiding this one. If you're in it, you're probably likely going to hold to see the next result and scrape that dividend uh, because it, it's probably trading at around a 10% gross yield, you know, similar to some of the regionals. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't think we'd be looking to hold this one for too long. Got it. Well, I do know that there is some coverage of my state and that's by Ord Manette. So what do you say, David? Yeah, we do. We uh, get coverage through Morningstar and, and we've got a buy recommendation on it. Uh, again, based on those fundamentals, dividend yield of 7.7%, fully franked. So on an after-tax basis, it's, it's very, very um, single-digit PE. The benefit, although it is small uh, and it is focused on Tasmania, the benefit that gives it is it's got very high customer loyalty uh, and very good capital management. So it means that their bad debts are, are very low compared to most other banks. Uh, so it's a relatively con- conservative, um, you know, cash flow business and generate a, a good dividend yield. So, again, if you're prepared to to invest in a small company that has only a relatively small footprint, you should be fairly well rewarded and get a, get a decent dividend yield out of it. All right. So that is a buy from Ordmanet from my state. And uh, don't forget for all of our viewers who've emailed in about these companies, this is not financial advice. This is not specific to your circumstances. So treat it as information only and do your own research or get advice if you need it. Um, Now that that's out of the way, let's get to the next on the list. And this is AOF. So this is the Australian Unity Office Fund. Now, 
Some would say this is not a sexy one to talk about, but David, I've had so many conversations lately about when there's going to be real value to be had in the A-REIT space. Is this one such potential? Probably not, no. I think that there definitely will be good value and, and we are seeing a lot of the, the A-REITs trading well below their net tangible asset backing. Um, Australian office isn't really one of those. They're trading about one oh, oh, about 93 cents at the moment. Their um, net asset backing is 104, so it's a slight discount. Um, the interesting thing, I suppose, about Australian Unity Office is that they've actually been making a lot of divestments over the last few years. So their their property portfolio that they're managing is about half of what it was a couple of years ago. Um, they also do have an issue with one of their buildings that that is untenanted at the moment. So they've got a, a building in Parramatta. They're still paying about a million dollars a year in outgoings, yet they're obviously not getting the the rent on on that business. So they did actually reduce their uh, their distribution, um, so it's a little bit more conservative than than what you would normally uh, think for a, a, a real estate investment trust. So it's it got a yield of about five point four percent, so a little bit below many of the others. Uh, and office is one of those sectors of the the REITs where there's a lot more question marks. So it's it's one that we've got a hold on. Uh, if you You've got them, I'd be holding them, but certainly, yeah, wouldn't be uh, rushing in to be buying them at the moment. Yeah, that wasn't a really pretty picture that you painted. I mean, opportunity cost, right, Daniel, if you're holding something like this for a dividend yield, 5.4%, yeah, it's fine. But uh, to our previous conversation, you can get that elsewhere. Yeah, you can. And and like David pointed out, I think Unity, um, the AOF fund has probably had some of the most active portfolio management that I've seen out of the REITs, probably because the portfolio size is quite small. So like he's pointed out, it's literally halved in asset size in recent years. And it can be a little bit difficult um, to, to follow the business when that happens because all the metrics change. Like if you look at trailing dividends per share, that absolutely won't be the case going forward. Like we've pointed out because the asset base is, is half the size and they've returned capital to shareholders as well. So you know, I, I said it with the non-bank lending space. Someone's going to make a killing in that sector, and I think that's the that's the truth as well for REITs. There is a lot of deep value in that space, uh, but it's very difficult to track the underlying fundamentals. And office, in particular, adds another element of, of uncertainty in regards to tenancy risk. Um, some of the metrics I'll point out, and and it's difficult because there's so few properties, and a lot of them are going through refurbishment. So the 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 whale is only 2.8 years, as you'd expect, because some of their buildings are basically untenanted. Um, and the occupancy is, I think, around 63%. So potentially that could be the upside case going forward. You know, if they have successful refurbishments, they can increase, you know, the, the demand for those buildings, get some tenancy in there at, at decent rates. You know, I'd expect the metrics to look a lot better. Uh, but like I said, you know, that, that valuation factor for us at the moment probably isn't enough of a driving force. And, you know, I think there's just opportunities elsewhere, specifically in REITs um, in the market at the moment. So we'd be happy to let this one pass to the keeper as well. Okay. So, but where, where do you see the real opportunities in REITs? I mean, that's the obvious question. 
Well, when I look at the REIT sector, there's obviously different types. There's ones that, you know, more so the property ownership, um, the, I would call them the standard REITs, and then you have the, the more so the asset managers. Um, the asset managers are probably a higher beta play. So when you're thinking about that that period of time where perhaps we see a bit of support for property prices, perhaps we start to see interest rates going the other direction, something like Charter Hall, I think, will be a, an excellent way to play that thematic. Uh, but overall, if I had to pick one REIT, um, you know, considering all factors and it's not the one that looks the cheapest at all it's probably goodman group um and interesting comments from their management team you know they've been saying over the last you know almost a decade five ten years you know development has been the way to add value because purchasing assets has been too expensive they're actually saying now that there are opportunities to purchase assets and get greater returns than purely from development so you know if that's what they're seeing in the market that's why i've said previously there is opportunity in this space um but you know picking the bottom will be incredibly difficult yeah david do you agree goodman group i mean it's been a it's been a favorite for quite some time now yeah it has. It's it's performed ex- exceptionally well. Um, I, I think it's probably important to to make the delineation between a Goodman, which you know, as Daniel said, does a lot of development, uh, and an asset owner. Uh, so, you know, the, the likes of Australian Unity Office, they just own the assets, uh, whereas Goodman actually do development and and have got that upside from it. Um, I, I think there probably is value in some of the smaller REITs. Uh, we like Waypoint, uh, which owns a lot of the, the service stations around the country, Ram Essential Services, uh, and Dexas Convenience, which are three of the ones that, that we tend to like at the moment that are trading well below their, their NTA and, and do have a reasonable value. Wonderful. Guys, thank you. Thanks for that bonus for our viewers. Let's get to number five on the list. And this is Square or SQ2, Block. Block is what it is. Um, so I'm going to start with you on this one, David, because it seems to me that Ords is pretty positive on Block. I don't know why I'm surprised. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, we've got a, an accumulate recommendation on it. Uh, it is high risk, though, uh, and it is very, very volatile. So Australian investors probably know it as Afterpay because Block did take over Afterpay. But it is a lot more than Afterpay now. You've you've still got Afterpay as part of that business, but it's also got Square, which most of us know as the, the little Square um, things that we, we tap our phones on to, to pay. Uh, and then they've also got Cash App, which is uh, a very large app um, in in the US in particular, but, but becoming global. So it is a global business that you are investing in and you know, it's a transaction-based business. We think that the management are now doing the right thing. They've got some discipline on costs, and we've actually seen some Im- improvement as far as their their earnings are concerned. So as far as the cash app part of the business, their profits are, are rising about 27% per quarter. Uh, so if they can continue that sort of growth, that's very positive. Um, but as I said, it is a highly volatile business. You're not getting a, a yield. They're not generating a profit as yet. But we think that with the, the management that they've got in place and some disciplines that they're now putting in place, they have the potential to, to continue to, to rise. Yeah, Daniel, the great bearded man, Jack Dorsey, now chair, <laughs> saying that he's going to keep a cap on hiring. Decisions are going to be made faster. Is that enough to... well? For you to essentially put money into block 
Oh, look, this is a really difficult one. I mean, there's certainly aspects of the block business within the broader group, which I think are really good. Like the Cash App um, business is, is is fantastic. That's a really high quality business that they've been able to build over time. And even the the payments terminal business, they're, they're processing you know, a significant amount of payments at the moment. Um, and we should expect to see margins improve over the near term. The, the Their recent result, their recent quarterly um, was really well received by the market, particularly more on cost realization, like you mentioned, Nadine. So they're going to put a, a, a cap um, on spending and really try and manage those costs and really try uh, and and focus themselves on hitting some of those profitability targets that they've put out to the market. But I will also will add on to that, that it probably has repercussions. So we've already started to see at least the rate of growth slow down. Um, there certainly was a deceleration in gross profit growth um, in the September quarter versus the June quarter. So potentially something to look out for. But uh, overall, like the, it's such a complex business and there's so many other moving parts going on here, whether it, whether it's the management team or the board, which is constantly changing, um, previous acquisitions. I mean, the Afterpay deal clearly uh, was pretty dilutive to the, to the company overall, even previous acquisitions of title. Um, and then when Jay-Z got elected onto the board after that acquisition, I mean, this, there's a, you know, a lot of issues here with probably governance uh, and, and management as well. So, you know, it's probably a little bit too complex for us. Uh, I wish I could put it as a buy because there are elements of the underlying business, which I think are really attractive. Uh, but for us, I, th- I just think it's another one at the moment where it's probably too hard um, uh, for our portfolios at the moment. We'd, we'd prefer to have capital allocated elsewhere. But I will say if we start to see a return um, to those high-flying growth stocks, you know, Block's probably one of the few ones where I'd say is worth adding to the portfolio for that high beta. Well, Daniel, on that, when do you think it is going to be the time to add growth to some of your portfolios? Yeah, look, we're not really bottom pickers, Nadine. So we'd probably just wait to see a bit more positivity um, in in the forward-looking data for things like inflation uh, and therefore the trajectory of interest rates. I was having this chat with our portfolio manager this morning, but if you go back to the start of the year, you know, a, a lot of institutions were forecasting rate cuts in Australia um, at the end of the year. We're still increasing rates at at the moment, um, and in America they're forecasting multiple rate cuts um, at at the end of 23. So you know there's still a lot of uncertainty of the trajectory of rates. I'd say, um, you know that that's where we think that difference will come in in terms of our view for timing. Um, you know we're, we're going to miss the bottom. We accept that. We don't try to do it, uh, but we'll wait for the the, the kind of eventual. Um, slow down in inflation to be proven and therefore there'd be a better trajectory and understanding of the interest rate story. Yeah, and David, I mean, it certainly seems that you're not reticent to add growth to portfolios um, if if you think it's deserved. Yeah, I, certainly from a uh, an overall strategy point of view, we have actually been reducing our exposure to international and US in particular, because yeah, we do think that that interest rate cycle uh, hasn't yet fully played out. So we have been selectively taking profits, um, but in certain individual cases, as far as the, the stocks are concerned, uh, yeah, where we do see value. Uh... Oops, 
We seem to have got a bit of a pause there, so now it's a perfect time for me to sum up what we've learned so far in this first half hour of the program. So, stock of the day was Boral. Woof, that looks crazy. We've got a hold from both of my guests there <laughs> happening for Boral. Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, it's an accumulate for the team at Ordmanet and David Lane. It's a sell, though, for Daniel Ortiz from the stock doctor. He's just, they're not in any banks. And so that's sort of the theme that was from Daniel for Harmony. It's an avoid to risky. Harmony though is, yeah, it's a high risk, but it is an accumulate for the team at Ordmanette getting paid well for the returns. My state, it's a buy for Ordmanette and David Lane. Dividend yield is looking pretty good, but again, it's an avoid for Daniel Ortiz at the Stock Doctor. Australian Unity Office Fund, look, neither of my guests were very thrilled with this one. Not a winner. Um, look elsewhere in the A-REIT space for opportunity, and Goodman Group is one of those. Also, Dex's Convenience from David Lane from Ordmanette and Square. You just heard us talking about it. High risk, but an accumulate for David Lane, and it's an avoid, although he's keeping an eye on it for Daniel Ortiz at Stock Doctor. So that is what's happened so far today. We've got our latest investment committee episode up online, ausbiz.com.au. You can take a look. Um, look, we saw... We saw a little bit of change happening in the past month or so, but uh, let's leave that there and uh, we'll get you the updated view come tomorrow. All right, let's get to the companies that we will be talking about in this next half of the program. We've got Seven Group, we've got IPH, we've got PEXA, and we've got Tabcorp Holdings as well. All right, let's get to uh, the next one on the list, which is for Patrick. Patrick has picked Viva Energy, V-E-A. David Lane, Ordmanet, can I start with you? Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, Viva Energy, it's an interesting business. They, I mentioned Waypoint earlier, so uh, the two are connected in that Waypoint owns the properties and Viva Energy uh, manages the service stations as well as the uh, you know, the, the Shell um, petrol business. So has about 24% of the market share in Australia as far as the, the service stations are concerned. Um, that will increase because they've been going through a, a fairly large acquisition. They've bought a business called On The Run in South Australia, which uh, I'm led to believe is a, an institution in, in South Australia. Um, and it's more of a convenience style service station. Uh, operations so they're actually intending intending to grow that business around the country and, and replicate their on the run business uh, around Australia so interesting changing uh, I suppose outlook for the business they had an investor day last week the market seemed to be quite uh, positive as far as that investor day is concerned because the the longer term strategy is to continue to, to grow the business. So, uh, yeah, an interesting one. We've got an accumulate recommendation on it. Uh, again, a reasonable dividend yield of 6.8% uh, and potentially some, some growth through their, their acquisitions. All right. Thank you. Daniel, what do you think of Viva Energy? 
Yeah, we've, we haven't really had too much of a position uh, in the refiners at all throughout the COVID period, Nadine, where all of them did really well because the refining margins went through the roof. I think in some instances, they probably tripled um, the margins they were earning on refinery. And certainly when you read the updates that they're putting out, both Ampol and Viva, it's that, you know, the, the outlook for margins still look quite good. I think at the start of the year, analysts were starting to revise them down. Uh, but the tightness, specifically in the diesel market, has meant that their margins are, are still quite elevated and I'm sure if anyone you know drives a, a diesel engine car you know they've noticed that the price of diesel I don't I don't think it's dropped below two dollars a litre uh, anywhere in the country whereas probably you've seen you know the other petrol prices fluctuate a bit more so you know we, we probably have a, a positive view on the refining outlook but then again they've had you know a few issues in terms of reliability at their Geelong refinery you know which has historically happened in the past um, and and with a refinery of that age I guess it's bound to happen um, Overall, our view of the company now at the prices that they're trading at, you know, even though the the headline metrics look cheap, you know, PE ratios and dividend going forward, you know, if you were to revise those margins downward, you know, the, the stocks are probably trading in line with historical valuations. So it's another case where, look, situation does look okay. We'd be happy to hold them, certainly. Um, and they've actually been both really acquisitive. So both Ample and Viva have been acquiring uh, quite heavily in that convenience um, in that convenience area. And the plan is like what David mentioned, and I'm not sure if anyone, of if you're in SA, you're familiar with OTR, but it's not only kind of a fuel and convenience station. They typically have, you know, fast food um, franchises attached to them. They're much bigger. They're, they're probably more um, dedicated to higher basket spend. You go there, you pick up a few things, you might stop off to eat, et cetera. So yeah, it is an interesting business strategy. They're clearly targeting kind of a higher margin um, business there than the old typical kind of shell convenience location you might go to and, and potentially buy a, a bottle of water with your fuel. Uh, and that could mean higher margins going forward. But for our money, it's probably in that basket of stocks where we think it's just more so of a hold than anything else. Got it. I just, I mean, in this time of uh, consumers tightening their belts, I just don't understand going in, buying your petrol and buying a bottle of water, <laughs> but whatever, to each his own. Um, yeah, it, is ex- it is very expensive at those expensive. locations. And, and, but people still do it, Nadine. It's I ridiculous. Know. I mean, it's amazing. All the time. People yeah. go in and they drop an extra 20 bucks just on, you know, a pack <laughs> of chips and, and uh, water. Anyways, I'll leave that alone. I'm being judgy. Um, let's get to seven group holes which is the next on the list. Um, look, I'll just have a little look around. Most brokers seem to like this one, except for Ords, recently downgraded to Lighten from Hold. Why? Uh, other way around, actually. We upgraded from Lighten to, to oh, Hold. Well, um, I'm going on old information then. Good <laughs> thing you're here, David. Yeah. Um, so we've yeah seen the... Uh, well, we had seen the share price come down a bit, so that was the reason that we, uh, yeah, downgraded that, uh, or sorry, <laughs> upgraded that to a whole. Um, it's an interesting business. It's We mentioned Boral earlier, and uh, Seven Group have a 73% interest in Boral Group. Yeah. They've also got a 30% interest in Beach Petroleum, a 40% interest in Seven uh, Media. So it's a con- conglomerate as well as the fact that their biggest business is West Track and West Track are the, the Caterpillar um, franchises for New South Wales, ACT and WA, as well as owning Coates Hire and uh, and another business called uh, Alight Skikes. Um, so it's yeah really a conglomerate and if you 
I suppose it's almost like a, a very small version of a Berkshire Hathaway in that Kerry Stokes owns 68% of the business. Ryan Stokes, his son, is the CEO of the, the operation. So uh, effectively, you're, you know, you're, you're putting faith in the Stokes family to, to manage their capital. Um, as Daniel mentioned, as you know, Boral's concerned, they have got a very good history of that uh, and they do manage their capital quite well. Um, but at current prices, can't see that it's necessarily good value. Uh, so we've got a whole recommendation okay. on it. Um, yeah, anything to add, keeping in mind we've already sort of touched upon Boral there, Daniel? Look, in regards to Boral, not, not particularly, but I will say overall, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Seven Group Holdings and covering the resources stocks, you know, you obviously, you, you know, the positivity and, and what's going on in terms of construction and volumes in WA right now. Uh, and one of the biggest beneficiaries, of course, is Westrack. Um, and, you know, that, that'd probably be my pick for the best quality mining services play on the ASX and hence the stock's done extremely well. Um, so, you know, Valuation aside, and I, and I do agree, the valuation does look a bit stretched, but I will say there probably has been a justified re-rating there, Nadine, because the balance sheet looks a lot better. Um, you know, they, they took on a lot of debt to acquire borrow. I think it was around approaching four times um, debt to EBITDA. That's come way back down. Uh, margins throughout a lot of its businesses in the conglomerate, so Coates, Westrack, um, leaving kind of the more commodity businesses like energy aside, um, have been improving over time. And therefore, I think, you know, it probably should have a, a bit more of a premium valuation. So, you know, certainly I wouldn't be lightening the stock. Um, happy to hold it. If you don't own it in the portfolio and you want some exposure, to that kind of construction space. You know, there's obviously options in building materials. There's options in the, the engineering companies themselves. You know, I'd probably say Westrack, uh, excuse me, seven groups of the company where if I had to own someone in this space, I'd like to own. Mm. So for the right investor, I'm more than happy to give it a bit of a nibble. Um, uh, and outside of that, if you're, if you're happy to hold it in your portfolio, I'm certainly happy with the hold. Got it. We've got our first nibble of the day. Okay, thank you guys. And just switching sectors completely. I'm getting to IPH. So this is intellectual property, essentially. Um, and this one, I'm just seeing who asked about this. Um, Connor. Thanks, Connor. Eighth stock of the day, IPH. Um, I might start with you on this one, Daniel. What do you think? Yeah, look, obviously, IPH has been around for a while now, Nadine. It's that um, kind of a, it's effectively a roll up of intellectual property lawyers. And, you know, <laughs> I'm a little bit uh, cautious because listed law firms on the ASX do not have a very good history. Um, so you have to be very cautious whenever you bring up that industry as a whole. Um, they they did have a pretty a bit of a purple patch about a year ago. Um, you know, while the cost of debt was cheap, they were making really large acquisitions. Uh, we've never really owned the stock, um, but that was probably a little bit of a, 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 a waving flag for us. The organic growth numbers were, you know, didn't really look too good. Um, and I'm just so con just so conservative and so concerned over this industry and whether or not you actually get, um, you know, any form of non-financial benefit through synergies through acquisition or whether it's purely kind of financial and there to grow the business and, and you know, have that empire building effect. So for our money, it's another one we're probably a little bit more cautious on, Nadine. I will say it's another one where the, the financials do look okay. Um, but, you know, I think that the balance sheet looks a little bit potentially stretched given how much debt they've brought on with that uh, smart and biggest acquisition in Canada. So they've also had other issues, uh, you know, 
a bit ironic, but they had a, a cybersecurity breach, uh, which for an IP protection firm, I think the clients would have been quite concerned um, in that company. But it doesn't seem to be too much of a of a of a clawback, um, considering the company's updates, how they're commenting on that. Uh, but it's another one where we're probably just a little bit too skeptical and would prefer to give it a miss in our portfolios. Okay, so we'll give that one a miss. What about you there, David, and the team at Ords? Yeah, similar similar sort of view. It's not uh, not a stock that we're covering at the moment. Um, it's got about a 34% market share of the patent filing applications in Australia and 23% of the trademark applications. So it's it's got a reasonable footprint. And as Daniel said, it's it's uh, now global. They're in Asia and, and Canada or as well as Australia. Uh, I think most of their growth is going to come from further acquisitions and that that roll-up story that Daniel was talking about. Um, but yeah, it's probably one that I think there's there's probably better uh, investments out there. Okay, thank you. Look, we hope that helped you, Connor. Thanks for writing in. At number nine on the list, this is PEXA, and this one is picked by Kyle. Um, David, what can you tell us about PEXA and its fortunes going forward, whether or not you'd be putting money into the company? Yeah, I think it's reasonable at current levels. We've got an accumulate recommendation on it. Uh, we think that their their valuation is about fifteen dollars. Uh, they're currently trading at eleven fifty, so there's reasonable upside to it. But having said that, it, it has been a company that's that's had a really checkered past. Uh, it was part of Link Market Services. Uh, they've they've spun out of that and, and listed separately. It hasn't necessarily set the world on fire since it's listed on the market. Uh, a lot of the the analysts and the market are concerned about their UK presence and the fact that they've they've you know, really had a, a bit of a, a checkered history there. But we think at current levels, it's probably those concerns are a little bit overdone uh, and think that there's some reasonable value in, in the business now. Uh, so for those who aren't aware, they, they effectively provide the, um, the titles transfer in an electronic version for uh, property transfers. So... Uh, you no longer get your physical title. It's all done electronically through the PEXA system. So, David, you do not want this company to be more acquisitive yet or, you know, because it seems to be some uh, of the commentary from the brokers is that they just need to bed down what's going on in the UK. Yes, I think that's certainly the case. They, they really need to, to fix that business in the UK and whether it's improving it or making the decision to actually exit that business and focus on their Australian business. And that could well be the catalyst that we see for the share price to, to start to improve. But we do think that, um, yeah, the, the negativity around the, the business has probably been overdone and there is a bit of value. So that's why we've got the accumulate recommendation. And how, like if we see a bit of a turn, an uptick in the Aussie property market, um, if we see a rise in listings coming through and continue to come through, is that does that necessarily translate straight through to PEXA? David? Oh. Ah, back there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'd love you there. Yeah. Uh, I think you were asking about an upturn in the Yeah, the Aussie, the Aussie listings, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, they, they do certainly uh, improve as far as their um, you know, transaction volume is concerned. So, um, you know, one of the things that we've seen has been increasing prices for property, but not necessarily as many transactions. So that's probably a, a little bit of a headwind for them. But if we, you know, do 
continue to see uh, an improvement or do see a bit of a turnaround, that will be a positive for PEXA as well. Okay, so that's an accumulate from Ordmanet. Daniel, I mean, I don't want to... Um you know, throw shade on any company, but is this just like, is this an interesting enough business for you? Does it have enough going for it that would get you, get you, um, yeah, get you interested? Yeah, the the Australian business certainly isn't a Dean. It's effectively a monopoly um, and it earns, I think, upwards of 50% EBITDA margins. It's a, it's a great business, um, but obviously it's a very mature business. When you own the market already uh, and you're highly regulated, you know, unlike REA, which can just say, hey, let's put up our prices 10% this year, you know, they were actually heavily impacted by the slowdown in volumes. And listing volumes, yes, but I would say it's important to consider just settlement volumes and transactions in Australian property as a whole. So a uh, big driver of that is also refinancing activity, uh, which is starting to see pick up now, uh, but has been a little bit subdued versus the last few periods. So whereas some other companies have that ability to put on, you know, pricing growth um, and continue to grow, even when the market's a little bit stale, PEX is a little bit more, you know, succumb to the to the competition watchdog. So I think the total market in Australia went down 10% um, in FY23 and uh, they managed to, to go down around 6%. So perhaps a little bit of an improvement there, but it is a hefty price to pay. Um, and when you look at the overall business, what it's valued at, even after it's fallen in half, you know, the valuation does look a bit stretched. Um, and and for our money, you know, understanding what the competition regulation will be going forward in Australia is, is a big question mark for us. There's talks of, um, you know, the ACCC forcing um, interoperability. So PEX will have to open up their platform to other providers in the market to allow them to also have access to that that settlement and, um, settlement and transaction data, which potentially will add competition, which is what the watchdog wants. Um, but, you know, with all the all the data we've done and, and all the conversations we've had with, you know, um, lawyers and conveyance officers and real estate agents, you know, everyone basically wants to use PEXA. No one wants to mm. use one of the other providers. So, look, I, I think there is a good business there, but just the, the question marks around regulation and also understanding what the UK strategy looks like because it is loss leading. They're burning, you know, a significant amount of money there um, and whether or not the market will have patience for that is another question. So, you know, it's one we'd love to have a bit more of a deeper look at before we had a lot of conviction in our call, but there's definitely something here to the table and Nadine, there's probably just a few too many question marks for us. Okay. So if you had it though, you'd hold it. Look, I think you'd hold it, but you certainly want to, uh, wouldn't want to take a, a large overweight view on the stock until you had you know, a, a really great conviction around those two question marks. All right, Kyle, I hope that helps you. Let's get to the lucky last on the list. This is for Lydia and it is Tabcorp. All right. So um, Tabcorp, I'm just taking a look. I think Gords has an accumulate on the company. Why, David? Yeah, really because the share price has come down as much as it has. Uh, it's been under pressure over the last couple of years. Um, Tabcorp is the incumbent as far as the physical gaming is concerned. So they've still got the the on-course betting um, licenses and, and will continue to have those for the longer term. Uh, Quite obviously, though, the competition for Tabcorp has been online betting and, and the fact that, uh, you know, the likes of sports bet and better and who you, you name all the others, uh, they're competing against uh, the traditional business that Tabcorp has. But having said that, though, Tabcorp's uh, digital uh, betting has been increasing at 17% per annum over the last decade. So they have actually been growing 
their own market share as far as that digital waging is concerned. Um, but the physical on-track betting is is where they, the bulk of their, their operations come from. Um, last week with the Melbourne Cup, I was actually looking at the, the longer-term statistics and we've seen a a long-term decline in people actually going to the track. Uh, so 2003, I think, was the peak of the Melbourne Cup where they had about 105,000 people. This year, it was around 75,000 people. So we are seeing a, a, a big long-term decline in mm-hmm. people going to the track. Um, but, you know, we are seeing a lot more uh, online gambling. And I guess for Tabcorp, there's the potential that they can continue to to improve their market share as far as the digital um, betting is concerned. Uh, And really that's why we've got the accumulation recommendation based on the fact that the share price has come down as much as it has. All right, yeah, because that again was a pretty terrible looking chart. So Daniel, do you see it any different? Does this bring us back to where we started the conversation around all of the unknowns in the macroeconomic environment as well? You know, softer consumer spending, will people continue to bet, unfavorable wagering results, all the rest of it? Yeah, I think the biggest concern for us with Tabcorp is overall it's it's just been structurally, um, is it's been structurally impacted by that shift to to online gambling uh, and the sports betting apps, um, and obviously you know they they've got their own uh, program there, but it just has not maintained anywhere near the market share that they used to have, um, and if you look at the competitors, particularly sports bet, it's just absolutely eroded um, their market share over time. There's been some positive shoots in Nadine in terms of signs of stability in market share, but you know it's it's clearly been a business that's been displaced, um, and, and you know I remember or well, I don't. Remember, but Stock Doctor actually has a, a pretty great history with Tabcorp. We were a, a large shareholder in the in the 90s, um, back in the day when it was a, a almost a, a, um, a market darling type of stock. So you know, it, it's a bit sad to see now, but now we, we don't think this business is um, is attractive at all. It's losing market share. There's clearly um, regulatory impacts as well with the advertising of gambling. You know. That advertising is a huge driver of top-line growth for any form of gambling um, and, and betting agency. And if those regulations are starting to come through to change that, how people can advertise in the gambling market, you know, I think that's probably even worse for volumes going forward. So it's it's not a company we'd be interested in. I will say, you know, the Lotteries Corp is probably something that's just more in our hit zone. I think since that demerged, there's been a lot more institutional interest uh, in that company. And now that it's had a pullback, we're probably, um, you know, we're looking to do a bit more work in understanding TLC. So for our money, we'd probably be staying away of TAH and, and looking towards the Lottery Corp. Right. Okay. Thank you, guys. That brings us to the end of the program. So before I thank you, just let me run through what we've learned, just in case you disagree with me in any way. Uh, Viva Energy, it's an accumulate um, reasonable dividend yield, David points out, but for the stock doctor, just a hold. At number seven, we've got an upgrade to a hold for Seven West Group. Um, Although, yeah, the valuation might be a little bit challenged there. Again, Daniel says it looks stretched in terms of valuation, but he is a big fan of seven um, seven group holdings, in particular that West Track business in WA. So if you do not already own it, he could, uh, you know, recommend taking a bit of a nibble. But generally, the recommendation is a hold. IPH, uh, look, both thinks that there's better opportunities elsewhere, just giving it a miss. PEXA Group, it's an accumulate for the team at Ord Minette. It's a hold. 
for Daniel Ortiz at the Stock Doctor. Some concerns about um, competition regulation. And we heard about Tapcorp, which was an avoid for Daniel, and it is an accumulate based on its valuation for the team at Ords. Uh, guys, I think that covers it all. Look, a huge thank you to you both for joining us from all around this wonderful country of ours. David Lane from Ordmanet, Daniel Ortiz from the Stock Doctor. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nadine. Take care. Any stocks you would like us to cover, feel free. Go to ausbiz.co forward slash call picks, or you can always tweet to us. Stick around. We'll take you through all the market moves next. Mm -hmm.